All right, good morning. Uh, Josh hates being on camera almost as much as I do. So we're going to have fun with it, though. I uh, hope you've had a great week. This is Josh Hodges. He's uh, one of the pastors on staff with us at, at Salt River. He's going to share the word with us today. We're moving into a study on Easter, obviously, a season that we're all celebrating as a church family around the world. So pretty excited about that. He's going to get this week. I'm going to get next week. Uh, but this is not church. This is just us unpacking the word, having a good time, looking at what God has to say, and tonight would be when we're going to get together as a family and really talk through things. So if you want to come, we'd love for you to do that. You can catch us online. There's different ways you can figure out how to contact us through social media, through uh, website, through email. We want you to hit us up, and we'll tell you where we're at. Uh, we're in Tempe, Arizona. Love for you to come join us. It's real easy. We just hang out, do some praying, intentional praying. Uh, eating, and uh, then uh, getting into the Word. So come on out. We'd love to have you. Uh, I'm going to let Josh have it, and I'm not going to take any more of your time, bro. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. Hey, we're going to start real quick uh, by praying before we j- jump into the Word here. Father, we thank you for uh, just another day of life, the opportunity to meet together, the opportunity to dig into your Word. Uh, God, we just pray that you would uh, make yourself known to us as we, as we look at your Word, uh, that we would... Uh, gain a new and, and deeper understanding of, of who you are and, and what you've done for us and the way that you love us. Uh, so, Lord, we just uh, pray that you would bless this time that we have together to look at the Word together, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to John chapter 19. Uh, that's where we're going to be this week, just a couple of verses, uh, beginning in verse 28. Uh, as you're turning there, uh, I want to have you think about something for just a moment. I want you to think about a time of uh, uh, maybe your greatest achievement or something that you're really proud that you accomplished or that you did. Uh, it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be your greatest achievement. It could be something small. Um, but whatever that is, as you're thinking about that, I want you to reflect on that moment, whatever you did or whatever you said or whatever you accomplished, uh, and, and decide, was it perfect? Was everything about that moment perfect? Uh, now, as I thought about my own life and different things that I've done, um, things that I was even proud of or thought that I did well, uh, I struggled to find anything that I had done perfect. There was almost always something that I could have went back and changed or done better or said differently or improved in some way. Even if you think about a sports team, uh, a team that, that goes undefeated, uh, their record might be perfect, but if you look at their play throughout the entire season, chances are there were things that could have been done differently, things that they could have improved. So as you think about that, uh, consider what that would have looked like if it would have been perfect. Now, chances are you don't have that one thing. Maybe you, you say, yeah, I've got something that I did perfectly. Well, think about how many perfect things you've strung together in your life. Uh, chances are uh, they're slim to none. So hold on to that for just a minute. Uh, that's going to be important as we work through the text today. And we're going to begin in John chapter 19, like I said, verse 28. So John 19, verse 28, begins, After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there, and so they fixed a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. So we're going to go back up to verse 28 and look at this real quick uh, and work our way through this for just a second. John begins this uh, section of text 
And he makes it very clear from the beginning that Jesus is fully aware, fully aware of what's transpiring. Uh, that Jesus recognizes that all things have been completed. Now that word that he uses there, and I, I'm, I can't say this right, I'm from Kentucky, uh, my English isn't great, uh, so saying Greek is more difficult. Uh, but the, the Greek word that he uses there, tetelestai, see, it's tough. All right, the word that he uses there is, is very significant. Now, John makes it clear that Jesus is aware of this, but here in just a second, uh, and you heard it when we read it, Jesus will make this declaration himself. But it's interesting to see this, and John makes this a point. Uh, part of the reason that this is so significant is because this word is used in a couple of different places, uh, but it's the same word. It could be translated uh, completed or accomplished or fulfilled. Uh, here, uh, depending on your translation, it's probably going to say finished or completed. Uh, but it's significant in the sense that it's done, finished. Now, that seems real simple. Uh, we say things are finished. We say things are completed. But we're going to get to this idea here in a second, going back to where we started, of it's done and it's perfect. There was nothing that could be changed. So it's it's fulfilled. Now, it's fulfilled. Jesus recognizes this. He has the wherewithal. Remember, he's, he's fastened to a cross at this point. He's been there for hours. He's endured uh, just excruciating pain. He's endured uh, a, a trial, the stress and the anxiety of this trial that would have taken place. Beating. He's dehydrated. He's lost blood. He's having trouble breathing. A lack of oxygen at this point. And so it's a pretty reasonable thing for him to think, uh, for us to see him say, I'm thirsty. Uh, of course he's thirsty, right? Uh, we wouldn't argue with that. Uh, but John is pointing this out, that Jesus is aware of what is happening. He's in the intended place that he'd set out to be. Now, this is a little bit different, and we'll, we'll touch on this a little more here uh, in verse 30. But he didn't just get here by chance. This is exactly where he's supposed to be at this moment in time. So let's turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to Psalm chapter 22. We'll look at a couple of passages here from Psalms. Psalm 22, verse 6 says, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and they shake their heads. He relies on the Lord. Let him save him. Let the Lord rescue him, since he takes pleasure in him. And then jump up to verse 15. My strength is dried up like baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Sounds familiar? Something happens when you're thirsty? Uh, most everybody recognizes this to be a prophecy, speaking about the coming Messiah, or in some way describing the events surrounding the Messiah. So turn to Psalm chapter 69. We're going to look at a couple verses here in this chapter. Psalm 69, verse 3. I am weary from my crying. My throat is parched. And then jump over to verse 19. You know the insults that I endure, my shame and disgrace. You are aware of all my adversaries. Insults have broken my heart, and I am in despair. I waited for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters, but found no one. Instead, they gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. 
Jesus is aware of what's happening because he's in the place that he's supposed to be. Not only is he, he aware to the extent of he knows what's going on around him, but he realizes that there's really one thing left. He's fulfilled everything that he's supposed to fulfill to this point. And what is left? Well, he's thirsty. Now, he didn't just come up with that. He didn't just decide that he needed to meet this physical need as he's on the cross, but he needed it to fulfill what had been spoken of him. So to this point, everything uh, that's happened, that's transpired, everything that had been spoken of the Messiah, of the Christ in the Old Testament, Jesus has fulfilled that. The one that they anticipated, the one that they waited on, the one that they expected to see, Jesus has done all of those things. And so up to this point, he's done all that he needs to do, and now he cries out, he's thirsty. So what do they do? Well, even in this situation, what pretty much any reasonable person would do, although you might argue that these weren't reasonable people uh, surrounding Jesus at this time, but he said he's thirsty, so they give him something to drink. So we see that in verse 29 here. They give him cheap wine vinegar. Now, if you've ever been thirsty, I mean really thirsty, you can imagine that vinegar is probably the least likely thing that you would grab to quench your thirst. But here's what they give him. I give him that because we just read that in Psalms. We see how this ties together. But they give him this vinegar. And so now, Jesus has accomplished even this one last final thing. But in particular, here in verse 29, there's uh, a lot of debate over this verse. Now, really any verse in the Bible Somebody somewhere has debated it. They've decided this or that or that can't possibly mean this. And so that's just kind of uh, the nature of what it is. People want to find ways to try to pick it apart. And what they use here is they use the idea of uh, a hyssop branch. Now, you can go online real quick, probably right now where you're sitting in your chair watching this, and Google hyssop branch. And you'll quickly find that it's not a very strong, sturdy um, branch. Uh, It's pretty flimsy. Uh, It wouldn't hold much of anything. Uh, And so that's part of the argument. The branch wasn't strong enough. How could this possibly make sense? And so they try to call into question in some way John's account of what's happening here. The other thing that they try to say is that, uh, one, the the branch is too weak, but the other is that Jesus would have been too high. Now, uh, even myself and probably most of us, when we imagine Jesus on the cross, uh, the image that comes to our mind is that, that Jesus is hoisted up way above everything. But how high do you need to be to successfully crucify someone? Well, probably just high enough to get their feet off the ground, right? Wouldn't take much. I'm about six foot tall. Uh, If you got my feet off the ground, maybe six inches. If they're they're dangling, uh, then that might be high enough that I could be fastened to a cross and accomplish its intended purpose. So if I'm six foot tall and I reach up just with my hand, I could pretty easily reach uh, high enough to give somebody a drink of something, even if they're on a cross. So the argument that they try to use really is 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 pretty simple and doesn't hold up. Uh, but nonetheless, that's that's an argument that is made at times. But it's just not enough. It doesn't carry enough weight to call this entire account into question. Pretty simple. Uh, or pretty pretty simply, we were able to debunk that in just a few brief statements. And so what do they do? They, they dip the branch in vinegar. They bring it to Jesus' mouth, and it says, verse 30, When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Now this is the same word, the tetelestai, or tetelestai. 
meaning it's finished, it's complete, it's accomplished, it's been fulfilled. There was nothing else that could be done. Jesus has done exactly everything that the Father had set for him to do. We see a a similar word. It's from the same word family in John 17 when Jesus is talking about his work being completed or being finished as he's uh, praying, as he's praying about his disciples, as he's talking to the Father about those that have been entrusted to him. The work that he'd been given to do was completed. Here we see the same thing, except for now we're even a little farther down. Everything that was spoken about the Messiah had been fulfilled in Jesus. It's finished. Now, the idea often is that it is finished. We, we sometimes uh, describe this or we read this or we express this in a way that, that Jesus was somehow, he had just exhausted all of his means and this is what was left. There was nothing else for him to do. Uh, that he had tried everything that he could and well, he succumbed to the cross. But that's not what John is intending to say here. Jesus has done everything that he was called to do, that he was sent to do, that he was expected to do, and now he's exactly in the place that he's supposed to be to fulfill and to accomplish what the Lord, what the Father has set before him. The cross was never just uh, something that happened because it didn't work out. The cross was always the plan. The cross was the place that Christ was intending to go. All throughout John, we see this word sent used. It's a common word that that John uses, and it carries with it the idea of of being sent on a rescue mission. So imagine uh, yourself, and and maybe some of you have experienced this, uh, you're in a a vehicle accident of some kind, and and the vehicle has rolled over and you're trapped inside. Someone calls 911, they call the dispatch, and and they say, hey, uh, there's a vehicle, there's a terrible accident, we need you to send somebody. So the dispatcher sends out uh, fire and rescue. And they get there and they come, they've been sent on this mission to get you, to do something for you that you couldn't do for yourself. Jesus was sent on a mission to do for you and for me what we could not do for ourselves, what we couldn't do on our own. And so here we find Jesus in these final moments of his life, on the cross, saying it is finished. He's completed it. It's been fulfilled. It's accomplished. And then lastly, bowing his head, he gives up his spirit. This is significant. Who just has the power and the ability to lay down their life? Jesus hadn't been beaten to death. His life hadn't been taken from him. Uh, it hadn't been so bad uh, that there was, there was nothing else that he could do. Instead, after enduring all that he endured, the suffering that he endured, um, he willingly relinquishes, surrenders his life by giving up his spirit. Now, it's pretty interesting because he says it is finished and he gives up his spirit. But if you're familiar with the Bible at all, whether you're uh, have been in church your whole life, or whether you're somebody that's just stumbled across this video, chances are you know that there's something else to this story. So we're going to celebrate next week, the resurrection. Jesus lays down his life only to take it back up again three days later. But we're left with this idea then of, of what is finished, what is accomplished, what is, what is done. You, you may have heard the phrase, the finished work of the cross, or uh, your subheading in your Bible may even say the finished work of Jesus. So it's finished, but to what extent? We know that the story continues. It goes on. 
So we're left with this question, what exactly is finished? So to answer that, I want to look at a couple other passages for us this morning. So you can turn with me to uh, Romans. We're going to start there. Chapter 3. Beginning in verse 21. I'm going to read a few verses here, but we're just going to go a little bit at a time. And I'm going to add a few comments as we go. There's some very key significant things that I think for us to, to understand about what was finished at the cross to give us a more robust and profound understanding of what it is Jesus accomplished. We know that he, he stepped down from heaven, clothed himself in flesh, that uh, he, he, he let go of anything that he had to, to be a part of humanity, to live a life where he was always moving towards the cross. From the beginning, from day one, he was moving to this moment on the cross. And for what? For this. Verse 21, Romans 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Now, what is finished? First, kind of a summary of what we've already said in some ways, is that Jesus fulfilled the scriptures. That God's righteousness was revealed in Jesus, and the law and the prophets, they attest to that. They attest to the fact that Jesus was the one who brought fulfillment to all of these prophecies. The law and the prophets were always pointing ahead. The people of Israel were always anticipating what was coming, the, the, the uh, Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one. They were waiting on this generation after generation after generation. And, and now here he is in the person of Jesus, and he's fulfilled all of this. So what is finished? Well, Jesus has fulfilled the law and the prophets. That's finished. That's huge. There's no more anticipation. There's no more waiting. Continue verse 22. It says, uh, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Now, what is finished or accomplished on the cross is finished for all, but it's finished for all who through faith believe in Jesus Christ. And we're going to come back to that in just a moment. That's significant. And, and we're going to circle back around. So let's, let's keep going. What else is finished in this moment? The end of verse 22, it says, For there is no distinction, verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, verse 24, And are justified by His grace as a gift. Justification is finished. It's completed at the cross. For those who, through faith, believe in Jesus Christ are justified, meaning they're declared not guilty. Or the affirmative, they're, they're declared righteous. Justification was finished at this point. There was nothing else that need be done. The verse continues. Or we'll catch the end of that, that. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption meaning to redeem, to buy back, to purchase, pay for. Your sin and my sin was paid for at the cross. In fact, the, the very Greek word that I can't pronounce, tetelestai, uh, has been found on these old ancient, through archaeology, these uh, papyrus documents, these, these uh, receipts that were recorded on papyrus, and they were receipts for taxes. And on these receipts, they find the word tetelestai. And it's rendered, the translation for that particular context, paid in full. 
So it is finished is more than just it's done. I've done what I needed to do and I'm moving on. Jesus paid the debt for your sin and my sin. The debt that was accrued through our sin is paid in full. There's nothing else to be paid. There's nothing else to do to bring about justification. For those who through faith believe in Jesus, they've been justified. It's finished. They've had their debt paid for. There's nothing else. I can't give any more to get anything more. It's done. Christ did it. In verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation, your uh, translation may say atoning sacrifice there, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now, propitiation, it's, it's a word that uh, it's not common in our modern language. It's not one we're very familiar with, uh, but it means to satisfy or to appease. Uh, it was used in secular terms uh, in, in ancient uh, the ancient Near East to appease gods of some kind, and we see it here in Scripture that it's it means to appease or to satisfy the wrath of God. Your translation may say uh, use the phrase atoning sacrifice that Jesus' death on the cross atoned for our sins, that His death was a propitiation, that it satisfied God's wrath, that God's wrath was appeased by the death of his son the one who knew no sin became sin on our behalf god is not angry with you and it isn't that incredible to be reminded of that jesus took that on that jesus satisfied the wrath of god and he's no longer angry with you because of your sin His wrath has been fully satisfied. It's finished. Now if you turn just to uh, maybe a page or two over in your Bible to Romans chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. We continue with this idea of, of what is finished. Verse 9, how much more then, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, will we be saved through him? from wrath for if while we were enemies we were reconciled to god through the death of his son while we were enemies that we were reconciled to god through the death of his son at the cross you were reconciled to god that that you were brought within friendly relations to god because of the work that jesus accomplished at the cross and then lastly, probably the word we're, we're most familiar with or we most commonly use, but I, I think is just a, a part of this bigger picture is forgiven. That we were forgiven at the cross. That forgiveness was given fully and freely and completely at the cross. Look at Colossians chapter 2. Verses 13 and 14. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligation that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. Forgiveness was finished at the cross. 
it was done. It was complete. It was accomplished in full, perfectly, then for all time, for all people. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. And we'll wrap up with this passage. Hebrews 10, uh, verse 12. We're going to read just a few verses here. But this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of a God. He is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. For after, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After those days, the Lord says, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds, and I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. Now, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. There's nothing else to be done. That it was accomplished fully and completely once for all time. It's finished. At the cross, it is finished. Jesus' work was done. Salvation has been secured fully and finally. As believers, we, we need to be reminded of this. We need to revisit this. That's why we sing about the cross. That's why we write about the cross. That's why we have images displaying the cross. Because what takes place at the cross is so significant for our lives. That we time and time again have to be reminded that, that there's nothing else that I can do. I cannot be any more justified. I cannot be any more forgiven. That I, I can pay no more to cover any of this. That Jesus did all of it. Done. Perfected. We can rest in knowing that. That we don't have to continue to work to some way satisfy God's wrath because he's angry because of our past sins or because of what we did this morning or because of what we did ten years ago. That there's nothing that we can do to overcome that. Jesus did it. Now that doesn't give us a license to sin. But it gives us the, uh, the ability to rest in that reconciliation that Jesus has brought. That I don't have to, to be frightened. But I, through faith in Jesus Christ, believe in him for eternal life. That you and I can, can continue to move forward. That we continue to pursue God. Confessing sin as it happens, but, but not fearful of, of what might happen. Afraid that we won't be able to pay it off in some way. Because it's finished. The only thing left then is a response. Now, if you're a believer, if you've already turned from your sin and yourself and turned to God, then, then this is, again, a reminder. This is a way for you to, to look and to see and to understand what really was accomplished at the cross. But if you're hearing this and, and you thought, maybe uh, I've got to get myself right before I can come to God. That, that I've been living this way and when I clean all that up, then I'm, I'm going to come over here to God. But you can't. There's nothing that you can do on your own. That was the whole point that Jesus was sent to do for you what you couldn't do for yourself. And the fact is, is that, that regardless of what you've done or maybe what you continue to do is that if you turn from your sin in yourself and through faith believe in Jesus Christ, that, that you receive all this, that you participate in all of this. 
that you get to experience the finished work of Jesus. And it's as simple as turning from yourself and your sin through faith, believing in Jesus Christ and experiencing all that he offers, the work that he's finished fully and completely for all time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've chosen to record all of this, that 2,000 years later we can, we can look and we can see and we can understand how to some degree you work and to the extent that you love us, that you would sacrifice your own son on our behalf. That justice would take place but not through our own lives, but through the life of your Son. Father, may we spend time with this this week. May we, may we sit and remember and recall. May we reflect on this, Lord. May we, may we think of the cross often. May we turn to the cross continually. And Lord, may we just sit at the feet of the cross and experience your goodness and your mercy. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.